Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's fiction category manager. This is a podcast about books and the people who read them and love them. I am recording today over Zoom again um, from my home in Sydney in Gadigal country. I want to pay respect and gratitude to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My guest today, Sophie Green, is an author and publisher who lives in Sydney as well and is in lockdown as well. Her novels, The Inaugural Meeting of the Fairville Ladies Book Club and The Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Circle were both top 10 bestsellers, just quietly dominating Australian fiction in a, a brilliant way. These are, these are really excellent books and the new one is as well. Uh, Sophie also runs a country music blog and has been practicing yoga since 1993, which is the same year in which three quietly incredible women are united by a lively yoga teacher in far north Queensland in Sophie's brand new novel, Thursdays at the Orange Blossom House. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. And I'm uh, coming to you from Barogagal land in the Eora Nation. So I'm paying my respects to elders past, present and emerging from this land. Um, tell me about the year 1993. It was a much more simple time in my life and the year yoga came into yours. Yeah, I think uh, that was that was the reason why I chose to set the novel in that year because for me it was stumbling on this um, class at the top of the street I was living in at the time, my parents' home because I was a young person and uh, it was in a church hall and in those days yoga was in church halls and garages. Mm. Uh, it's very hard looking around now to remember at all the studios and the, and the big industry around it to remember that it actually started off um, pretty much on the North Shore of Sydney, which is where that class was for me. And in Sydney, at least, it started on the North Shore in garages. And it was groups of women. Um, uh, and I, the yoga teacher, BKS Iyengar, was the first yoga teacher to bring yoga to the West through the violinist Yehudi Menuhin. Um, so it was at his invitation that he came to the West. So and that was, I think, in the 60s. So it's hasn't been around for that long, but it has accelerated in recent times. And I guess I was interested in going back to that year when I started and remembering what it was like for me discovering it. So that was also for me as a writer to be able to access those feelings I had of discovering this practice for the first time, not knowing what it would become to me because mm. um, I'm still practicing all these years later and teaching and uh, yeah, it's obviously been hugely impactful for me and for a lot of other people. So, mm. hey, let's write about it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm still hearing from readers who are discovering Fairville Ladies Book Club. Uh, it's really defined you as an author of this well-crafted, really gratifying Australian reads. Um, and that book as well was set up north. And um, all of your books, all of your fiction has been set kind of in living lifetime for the majority of your readers, um, I would imagine. But uh, and, and also, this is the second book to be set in a very northern latitude. So, so what, what, what draws you up north? Um, it's beautiful, for one thing. I mean, Fairvale uh, arose out of being in the Northern Territory and seeing that landscape. And at the time I came up with that idea, I had been to the Territory before, but every time I've been, it's had the same impact. And I just thought this landscape is so incredible. It, 
and inspiring and it's a character in and of itself, which is a cliche, but it is true. Um, I think with this one, the publisher might have had a little suggestion that setting it up north was uh, something they were interested in, which does happen. It's, this is a collaborative experience often. Um, I, however, was already thinking about setting a novel in Queensland. It's just I was looking a little further south of the Sunshine Coast, which is an area I know well. So we talked about Queensland and I also love far north Queensland and think it's stunningly beautiful. So it just seemed like a, a nice setting to write about, particularly because I wrote it entirely in lockdown. And so mm. I was able to daydream about this place I couldn't get to, which I was planning to get to for research and all sorts of things, but I actually couldn't make it last year. Oh, just reading it now in winter lockdown in Sydney is, is just the heat. I want it so much. Yeah. Well, I think um, that's part of it. For those of us in the other uh, southern climes, uh, it, there is that element in the middle of the year where we do uh, literally and sometimes metaphorically look north uh, either for holidays or just dreaming about being there and mm. think of that heat, the humidity, how nice it is, how different it is to what we're going through. It's a very cold day in Sydney at the moment. So I'm certainly wishing I was there. Me too. Uh, this one, again, again, in keeping with these, you've, you're being, I'm not, I'm not saying you're doing the same thing every time because these are different books, but you're being, there's, there's a nice consistency here. Um, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> um, th this again, it, there's, there's these multiple female perspectives and I know that must be a, a challenge to write, but it's probably really gratifying. It's definitely really gratifying to read. Would you like to sort of run the listener through the ladies of uh, the, uh, the yoga studio, the Orange Blossom House? Sure. And Ben, also, thank you so much for your support for these books because um, it's really lovely for me to hear someone who's read these books talk about them in a meaningful way because when they're written, they go out into the world. I don't know if they resonate with yeah. me <laughs> unless I get feedback, which is lovely. Uh, so I do like to write about um, interesting women. Uh, I think I, I well, I don't think I have grown up with interesting women. I have grown up around a lot of interesting women. Um, my parents always had us around people of various ages. My mother's always had friends who are older than her and younger than her, and I'm the same. And so I, I think it's just a world I'm, I'm, I'm in and I'm interested in. So in Orange Blossom House, the first character who came to me was Grace Maud, who is the character. Love her. So every novel I write, the character who's in the first chapter is the first character who turned up when I sat still and thought, who is around? Who would like this story told? So Grace Maud turned up and uh, uh, I, she turned up with that name and I just thought there is no way I can have a, a character with two names. This will be too irritating <laughs> for everyone, including me. Um, she's in her 70s, but she was just insistently Grace Maud. I tried her as Grace, didn't work. So uh, then I had to work out why she was called Grace Maud and I realised it was because she had an identical twin called Ellie Maud and her father had named them that. So that all made sense to me. may not make sense to the reader. We'll find out. But Grace Maud is um, a very capable person who has made some decisions in, her, decisions in her life which didn't necessarily make her popular with people around her but which she knew to be the only course she could chart basically um and she made them to protect herself to protect her family um by which i mean her parents and extended family and her son and she's also run a 
property and I do know women like that who have run properties and um, they are hugely capable, often downplay what they have achieved. And it takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of grit and she has that. But her hips are very stiff after years of work and that's what leads her to yoga, um, which is where she meets Patricia, who is a, a high school teacher in her 40s, who's moved back to, back to Cairns to look after her mother in particular, who is in the early stages of dementia and her father is also older and in need of care and she has a sister and brothers who aren't able to do it. And then Dorothy, who runs a cafe with her husband, who's in her 30s, been trying to have a baby. It has not been successful. Um, and the three of them meet in class. And certainly throughout my yoga life, I've met various people in class. And sometimes those connections are fleeting and sometimes mm. they endure. And, and it, I think whenever you have an activity in common, you are going to meet different sorts of people of different ages. And the teacher they have, Sandrine, is the only character who um, is at all like me in any of these books in that she says things in class that I say when I'm teaching. So I just thought, well, if I can't use my own stuff for her, um, whose can I use? So that's, uh, so Sandrine isn't me. She's quite a different personality. But if you're reading the book and you hear her saying things in class to the students, that's me. <laughs> oh, well, that's great to hear because she's a hell of a teacher. <laughs> Well, that's great. If I can't make myself look good. <laughs> You'll get some referrals through, uh, through your fiction. Um, Grace Moore, let's, let's, uh, let's stay on her for a bit. Um, she's, she's, as you say, she's, she's getting on, uh, which, is, which has drawn her to class. She's, she's the oldest person in the class and she, cannot, she can't get down on the ground uh, with the same ease as the Mm -hmm. more nimble, um, leotarded, uh, <laughs> far north Queensland ladies. Um, she's all, yeah, as you say, she's also run this huge property, um, sugar cane, uh, you know, stifling heat. Uh, and as you say, that, that takes sheer grit for anyone and um, for the women that did it um, in, you know, that, in, in what would have been her lifetime that I can only imagine it's even harder, right? Um, and, and succession is such an important part of, of these big properties, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was an element I wanted to bring in. Succession, succession planning uh, can be a huge sticking point for families on these properties. And <laughs> uh, it kind of dovetails, oddly, with Patricia, She's a teacher and um, she's been drawn back by ageing parents and she has um, this scenario which I, I think so many people will sit on one side or the other of this, of, of, of having an ageing parent or parents um, that need more attention and care as as the child's life or the children's life become more and more busy and demanding in their own rights. And there, there'll always be one sibling that uh, pulls more weight than the others. And that's, that's, a, that's definitely a source of, of deep tension. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, and there's a line that I, that I gave to Patricia where she thinks to herself that what she's doing is not what she wants to do, but it's what she's prepared to do. And I think that that's 
the work of being a child. Um, often we grow up thinking that our parents are there to take care of us and serve us, but at a certain point we need to take care of them and serve them, and that is that is your work as their child. I think um, so. That's that is in conflict with things she wants for herself. Um, it's certainly in conflict with things her siblings want for themselves, and they're not prepared to do that work. So I think what she comes to, and I and I draw this out as well in relation to yoga practice is that it's karma yoga, which is the yoga of work mm -hmm. and it's work without expectation of reward. And I remember when I first came across that concept thinking, Oh, what is this? And then thinking about it more, I thought, yeah, it is. It's the work of, of saver or service as well. And um, knowing that sometimes there are things we do in life that it, yeah, our ego may not um, have craved it or be satisfied by it. Then uh, our material world may not, be satisfied by it but it is work that's there to do and if you're not going to do it someone else has to do it so why shouldn't it be you particularly when it's work that's already been done for you by your parents when you're growing up um, so I think that's the place she arrives at and uh, again it's not I wanted to make it realistic it's not she's not martyring herself she hasn't turned up to be the savior no. she's really conflicted about it because she she had her own life and she she still wants her own life but this is the work she has to do right now yeah, and that's 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 exactly how I was able to really deeply empathise with that experience because it's it, there's there's no right or wrong way to go about it. It's it's just something that's that happens yeah. <laughs> in a sense, and and seeing that or reading that through the lens of yoga practice is brilliant, right? Um, and, and it makes me think of all the ways in which you know, your uh, many years doing yoga and, and now teaching yoga, which is a whole nother level, right? Um, that, that must in some unseen way or seen way inform your fiction writing. It, 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 it invites a... Um, quiet observation and, and empathy, right? Um, and, and you must bring that to the page, do you think? Um, I hope so. I, mean, I think we all like to believe we're empathetic sometimes. There are some days when I don't feel like I am. But uh, I think, you know, I absolutely would not be writing if I weren't on the mat, if I hadn't been on the mat for all these years. The, the, and that's partly to do with the physical practice of yoga and, and particularly the way my teacher teaches it. Um, and certain things you can do to draw creativity out of the body, which is where it dwells. We like to think of creativity. Mm being in the brain it's actually in the mind and the mind is not the same thing as the brain so and I could go into a whole deep dive about this but um I won't uh, but not <laughs> <laughs> everyone will be uh, as interested perhaps um but I think yeah just my whole understanding of how stories function as well as has come out of teaching in particular because I'm when I'm teaching I'm really mindful that essentially I'm telling a story or I'm, I'm engaging students in a story and I'm holding the space for them while ever they're on the mat in that room. They have come from an, for an experience. They have not come just to sweat or they can go to a gym for that. So they've come for something a bit different and uh, every class has a beginning, middle and end. Same with writing a novel. Uh, every chapter needs a beginning, middle and end and then you need the broader arc of that. And so part of, of the um, craft of writing the novel is trying to find those little arcs within the bigger arc. And that is also 
in the yoga practice, which is the principle of vinyasa krama, which is working mindfully towards a posture and then counterposing. And so essentially to, again, I don't want to give too much detail because it could be boring, but everything I've learned about teaching, which is to have those small arcs within the bigger arc of the class is something that I can apply in writing. That's brilliant. I, I love that. Um, talking a little on Dorothy. Yes. Um, she, she's feeling, uh, I guess it's, it's similar, similar to both the other characters. She, she comes into this, into the action feeling quite low, uh, with this kind of private shame of lost pregnancies and, um, and isolation from her friends who have had successful pregnancies and now have children and therefore suddenly have very different lifestyles to her and that they live very separate lives all of a sudden. Um, and she wants to, to reverse that situation. And her and her partner are, are talking about IVF and IVF. This wasn't a big thing in the nineties. Like it is, it's just not as um, prevalent as it is today. And I wouldn't think certainly in far North Queensland, um, it would, would be even more so. Right. Yeah. And I look, I did have some insight to this because I know one of the doctors who was a pioneer of IVF treatments in Australia. Um, in fact, he was the pioneer in Sydney and um, wow. I'd spoken to him a few years ago now, but I'd spoken to him at length about that experience, um, what, what it was like technically to set up those clinics. Uh, people had to come to the hospital. Um, if they were from the country, they would basically move to Sydney for weeks on end to go through that treatment. So that, that information informed, um, was the tautology information informed? How sloppy of me. <laughs> that, that, um, uh, that informed Dorothy's experience um, of what she had to do to get to, to, from Cairns to Brisbane, basically to have this treatment. It's, it was a huge commitment. Um, it was, today it's all in clinics and it's quite slickly done and there are appointments here, there and everywhere. But back then it was one doctor, one nurse working with a handful of patients. Tell me about the idea of personal discovery or, or personal growth within fiction. Um, I, I love the unifier of yoga in this book because I, as, as we're kind of alluding to, yoga is all about that, right? It's kind of personal observation and, and slow, um, uh, <laughs> almost esoteric um, personal growth or personal development um, that that you do in private and and with with the help of uh, really perceptive and intelligent practitioners in, in my in my opinion um, and in Fevel uh, ladies book club uh, literature was kind of that device as well it's kind of self-discovery through literature and self-empowerment um, for women who are, who are really quite isolated um, at the start of the action. Uh, yeah. What does, I mean, I, I just find this really gratifying and satisfying to read, right? Um, this this self-empowerment and, and self-realisation, self-actualisation in fiction. Um, is, that, is that something you 
strive for? And is that something that you look for in your own reading? That's a really interesting question and I'm trying to formulate an answer because I'm, I'm not, I think, I, I think, yes, I have always looked for development in things I've read, possibly not consciously, but I think we all set out if we love reading to find something in every book we read that's, that's useful or entertaining or reassuring, whatever it is. And we may not necessarily know the effect it's had until we can put it into practice later. Um, and I think it's a bit like that with, yoga actually um the the lineage i'm in is actually a very um it's kind of tough it's gritty it's earthy it's not it's not wow music it's not scented candles it's the it's 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 actually a warrior lineage which seems strange to say but we do need to have our weapons in day-to-day life um and so that i feel that's prepared me a lot better than some other strands of yoga practice so in terms of personal discovery, it's not, it's not a, a practice of quiet reflection. It's actually getting into the body and um, getting through the stuck places uh, mm. and sometimes in a very painful and confronting fashion. And that's, uh, that's actually always been my experience because I've never been in a lineage. Um, I started off in the Iyengar lineage and that is not, a, that is not hearts and roses either. That's <laughs> often about pain and commitment um, and it's about showing up. Um, on the mat consistently uh, and I think it's the same as a reader you've got to show up consistently with things you're reading in order to have some benefit if you just dip in every now and again to one book you might think oh reading's not for me um, you know I haven't learned anything I haven't had a transformation there's nothing useful for me here but if you read widely if you read with an open heart and an open mind then absolutely reading will be transformative and lead to your personal development and so I think that um and that ties in also with another principle that's familiar in yoga and also Buddhism, which is beginner mind, which is that you come to anything with the attitude that you don't know anything uh, at all about it or about much. And, uh, and when you come with that attitude, there is so much you can learn. If you come to, if I come to the mat with a closed mind and think, well, my downward facing dog is perfect and it's never going to change. Um, then I won't have a great experience. I know that my downward facing dog has never been the same over 30 years of practice. It won't be the same when I get on tonight. Um, no book I come to is the same as any other book that I've ever read. Um, and I approach them all with that open mind. And sometimes I don't like them and then I'll stop reading. Um, but most of the time there's something interesting something that that can lead to um, further personal discovery yeah i love that and and there, there there is a lot of humility and and um and grit that goes into our life with literature and and yeah you you, you make a very good point uh with with regards to the the kind of grit that you bring to a successful yoga practice and a uh a, a lifelong yoga practice, um, a lifelong reading practice, if you put it that way. It does take grit, doesn't it? Um, what does it take to become a yoga teacher, um, more so than, than just a yoga student? I mean, I, I think that, that must be a, a whole new level of, of self-sacrifice. <laughs> well, it's more that it's the real shock for me once I started teaching is something that my my I had a teacher for 20 years, over 20 years, actually. And she didn't prepare me for the fact that once you start teaching, you stop being a student. And I was, I really didn't want to stop being a student. Um, I mean, you can get back to it. 
but she was the one who wanted me to start teaching. I was, I was practicing for years and around the seven year mark, um, she started saying, Oh, you should think about teaching. And I was like, I'm not ready. I have no interest in becoming a teacher. And she kept saying it, kept saying it at at the nine year mark of of me practicing about two years of her suggesting it. I said, all right, um, what do you want me to do? And she said, all right, you need to go and learn anatomy and physiology. Because at the time there were only a couple of teacher training courses in Australia. And um, the one that she wanted me to go to didn't actually teach you much anatomy and physiology. So I did a diploma of remedial massage purely to get their hands on anatomical knowledge. And then I went into teacher training, um, which was with an organization that had been around since the seventies. And uh, it was very much not like the teacher training courses that exist now. It was in a community center um, in Greenwich on Sydney's lower North shore, not in a flash studio or anything like that. And, um, and then as soon, basically after I'd had a couple of months of that, my teacher's like, okay, well, you can fill in now. <laughs> and uh, I think that was her cunning plan the whole time was just to get me to fill in so she could take some time off. So I started filling in and that's how a lot of teachers start. And it's, look, it's scary actually, um, because you're performing. It's, you've got to hold, as I said, you've got to hold that space and, and perform basically while keeping track of everything that's going on. And I was trained in such a way that we never teach the same class twice. So it's coming up with a new sequence every time and also being open to modifying it um, as uh, as people are on the mat. So looking at, out for injuries, for difficulties, for things that might go wrong, for someone who's pregnant that you've never met before and they walk into class for the first time, all that sort of thing. If I want to tie it into fiction writing, that's exactly how writing a novel goes. I have to be prepared for things to change. I have to keep an open mind about who shows up. There are characters who turn up um, that I have no idea about. I'm writing a chapter and I think, who is this person? And now they're insisting on staying and I have to replan the whole thing. So, um, so it has prepared me very well for that. But yeah, teaching took a while to... Um, it took a while to find myself in it. Um, and I think that's as it should be. I don't think I, I should have turned up uh, teaching early on and thought I knew everything. And I still don't know everything, but I love it a lot more now than I used to because I, I do treat it as a creative exercise. I understand that my role is to serve the people who are there just as my role as a novelist is to serve the story and serve the readers. And when that is what you're thinking when you start teaching in class, everything flows from that point. So then I'm not, I'm not grasping onto my idea of how things should go. I'm not trying to force anyone or anything to happen in a certain way. Uh, It is very much like leaping without a net. Um, And again, that's, that can be scary uh, and it can be an act of courage. What are we here for? If not acts of courage (laughs) on a day to day basis. I mean, if we, if we get up every day and just want to do the same thing, um, that's fine and that's safe, but in order to move on in life, in order to find different stories to tell, go to different places, do different things, we have to jump without a net sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, has it been your experience that more people are interested in, in, in doing it and in, in joining the practice uh, since the pandemic kind of changed our world a bit? Well, it's, I've, I've actually, I haven't been teaching since the pandemic started. Um, yeah. and I actually have, I'm doing some extra teacher training with my teacher who's based in the United States. So I took it as an opportunity to actually do um, 
more with her. I think she, interestingly, because she's someone who has taught classes to thousands of people at once, and she said that's where she was heading, like that she thought she would just do occasional classes to many, many people, and she does Burning Man and things like that. Um, and instead, the pandemic brought her back to a very small focus, and she decided to teach from her home um, and live stream it, and then also to start teacher training online, which she's never done before. And it's it's mm. a relatively small group of people. So I think maybe the, the overall numbers are smaller, but the commitment may be greater um, because we've all felt how how much we've needed it through this time. Um, it's been hugely important for me to have that connection to her and all the people around the world who are practicing with her because they are all around the world. Um, that's felt really reassuring. And she's constantly saying, you know, we have this circle, this global circle, and you can feel it. Yeah. What, what would you say to people who've, who've been unwilling to try yoga or, or perhaps have, have, have tagged along to a class at some stage with a mate or something and, and had a poor experience and gone, oh, this is, this is a bit wacky or this isn't for me or yeah. I, I, don't get, I don't get anything out of this. What I'd are they say, missing? Yeah, well, I'd say it's, it's, it's actually not for everyone, but I also think that your yoga may be surfing, your yoga may be swimming, um, your mm. yoga may be walking. Um, so yoga is, um, the word means union and it's the union of body, mind, breath, um, so wherever you find that union is your yoga. The asana practice, as we know it in the West, is um, is a very particular way of experiencing yoga. But the practice has been around. If we look at the tantric practices as well, they've been around for thousands of years. And um, there are all sorts of different ways to practice yoga. Bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion. That is the yoga of singing and dancing. If you're, you're if you're a, if you're a bhakta, then you are. That's, that's your yoga practice. You sing, you dance, you have a great time um, and you never get near a mat or a downward facing dog. So I think it's finding, um, it's, it's not thinking that yoga has to be long hamstrings and flexible hip joints. Um, and for those who, who are interested in getting on the mat, I want to say it's not long hamstrings and flexible hip joints. I'll never get into lotus posture, not interested in it. Um, I happen to have long hamstrings. That's an active genetics basically um that's not um it's not a badge of uh, of that i should wear with pride it's it's just how it happened so anytime you go into a class the postures should be able to be modified for you the idea is that you should be as we would say stira and sukha in the posture which is steady and at ease and that can take any form in that posture if you have a teacher who who can work with you on that and they should um, don't look at super flexible person next to you on the mat. The super flexible people um, often hang in their joints and, and it looks great because it looks like they're acrobats and everything, but that's a particular body type. So um, I'd say keep an open mind. Um, go for the experience, not for what you think you can achieve on the mat. That's the other thing is, is um, if you practice for any length of time, you realize your ego really needs to be left at the door. Uh, Breathe, that's actually the main part of it, is, is the breathing. Um, if you have a few seconds of stillness inside a posture or inside a meditation, even when you're just lying down in Shavasana at the end of the practice, perfect. That's your practice. Enjoy. Oh, I love this. I feel like I've just had a private consultation, a free yoga class of my own. <laughs> um, you can send me a bill after this. <laughs> 
happy um, to, happy to spread the good word. <laughs> uh, what um, just to wrap up, what what can readers look for in this new novel, uh, and what 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 um, readers that have, have have now grown to know and love your fiction, um, uh, what what can they expect as well? Um, uh, more of the same or something new, interesting? What's your opinion? Um, well, look, as you said earlier, it is, it is still a story about um, female characters. That's not going to change because I'm interested in exploring that. I'm also interested in exploring it in a way that's not necessarily to do with their relationships with men, actually, or with children. Um, I'm interested in exploring their, how they exist in the world with each other as friends. I've said before that, you know, our friendships often are the longest relationships of our lives. If you form a friendship at a young age with someone, that can outlive your parents. And sometimes it outlives your relationship with your children. If you have children who die younger than they should, your friends may be around for all of that. They might outlive your marriage. Um, so they are real bonds that, um, that are just as complex and rich and interesting as any other bond and therefore just as interesting in terms of writing fiction as any other bond. Um, so in, in Orange Blossom House, look, I, by the time, the time the book comes out, <clears throat> I'm kind of away from it and moving on to the next thing. And so it's, it's often hard for me to think, oh, what, what yeah. was I loved about telling that story. But I think what's different, what can people expect about this is, or in this book is that it is three different women that I have written before. They tell me who they are. I don't try to control them. Um, I basically, as I said, I sit there, I wait to see who turns up. Um, and then they're very bossy and they tell me what they want and who they are and how things go. Um, so I'm always interested to meet them. I hope readers are as well. Um, they're not perfect. None of the characters is ever perfect because none of us is ever perfect. Um, they're not necessarily likeable all the time. And I also think that's good because we're not always likeable all the time either. Life can be really hard. It is really hard at the moment. I did actually write this book um, with a view towards what might be happening at this time in history. So I, I wrote it pretty much entirely in lockdown last year, um, starting in March and um, rewrote it uh, with things still going on in the world. I looked ahead to August 2021 and thought, we're not going to be out of this. Even if, it, even if the pandemic has passed, we're still going to be carrying this experience with us. So I didn't want to... I didn't want it to be too tough, I guess. I didn't want it to be too sad. There were elements of Shelley Bay that were quite sad, um, some of them based on my personal experience. And so I thought, all right, I've done that um, in that in that novel. Um, so with this one, I thought, yeah, it needs there needs to be a certain reflection of what it is like actually being on the map, I guess, to, 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 to be metatextual about it. Like there are always ups and downs. There is pain. There is triumph. There are surprises. But at the end you arrive feeling hopefully better in yourself, more integrated, even if it's just for a few minutes. And I should say also that I said that the characters tell me what to do. And they, they, they tell me who they are. I get to be the puppet master who manipulates what they're actually doing in the story. So when I make a conscious decision about, about a tone for the ending of a novel in particular, um, I am thinking of, of where it fits in the culture, where it fits in that point in time, because I do think that's my job. It's not just to sit here and write a story that, that is for my entertainment. If that were the case, it should never see the light of day. I'm here to write a story for other people 
and hopefully it arrives at the right time. Readers will be the judge. Um, I, as I said, I'm, I'm writing next year's uh, one at the moment and I'm thinking the same thing about that. I'm thinking about how that's going to fit at that period of time and what that should be about and how that should feel. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> Sophie Green, thank you for your time today and, and thank you for sharing your writing with us. It's really special stuff. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for reading. You can get all of Sophie's books from booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.